Hello, everyone. This is Manny Fishman of the Buckhalter Law Firm. And I'm joined today by Valerie bantner Peo, a bankruptcy specialist and senior counsel in the firm's insolvency group. And we're here to talk today about bankruptcy issues. One of the unintended consequences of the COVID-19 era has been the impact that this has had on a building owner's ground floor retail occupancies. And many of us in the real estate group have been drawn into various retail bankruptcies. And Valerie has been the expert that we've gone to to guide us through what happens when a retailer files for bankruptcy, both if that retailer is in an office building and in a shopping center. And I thought it would be useful to do an overview of bankruptcy and to talk about the trends that Valerie is seeing. So welcome, Valerie. Let's start off talking about what the current climate is for retailers and how it has impacted landlords of ground floor retail space. Thank you, Manny. Thank you for having me this afternoon. 2020 um, has been an incredibly active year from the perspective of retail bankruptcy. Um, we've seen major retailers like Neiman Marcus, J. Crew, Tuesday Morning, Pier One, uh, JCPenney just emerged from bankruptcy last week. So that's really where we've seen the cases filed. It's the businesses that are directly impacted by the restrictions put into place as a response to COVID-19, which have limited foot traffic and limited consumer spending. Also impacted are businesses like restaurants. We saw California Pizza Kitchen filed bankruptcy here in San Francisco, the specialties restaurant chain uh, went into a chapter seven liquidation. Um, we've also seen gyms hit chapter 11, uh, 24 hour fitness and gold's gym both filed, um, as well as entertainment type co companies like uh, Chuck E. Cheese, uh, Cirque du Soleil. Um, so that's really what the trend has been in 2020. Um, and with the way the numbers are going right now, we really do see this kind of continuing through the holiday season and into the new year. And it's obvious the impact this has on a, a large office building or um, a general area where there are retailers that provide traffic and synergy to your, your property. When you see these bankruptcies, uh, we mentioned the words chapter 11 and chapter seven, but I, I suppose the way a real estate person would look at it, do you see the retailers continuing operations or closing down and leaving the store dark? Great question. Um, and so just to, just to clarify, a chapter seven is a liquidation. So once a company files for a seven, they're no longer operating. Um, and usually you will see those stores closed, inventory liquidated. Um, a chapter 11 uh, is a reorganization. The company continues to operate. Um, oftentimes, uh, larger retailers will try to uh, close down less profitable stores, but keep the profitable stores running either under current management or they might even sell to another company. 
in, in terms of trends, um, so far we've seen, I would say, more reorganizations. And one of the things that has happened that was really kind of unprecedented in 2020 is that the bankruptcy courts stepped in and helped a lot of these retailers continue to operate by abating rent. Um, ordinarily, when a company files for a Chapter 11 reorganization, they are obligated under the bankruptcy code to pay rent after the date the bankruptcy is filed. And they have a small amount of grace. They have up to 60 days to start making payments. But on the 61st day, they need to pay rent in the ordinary course and they need to come current. Because of the unusual closures that we saw this year as a result of COVID-19, really for the first time we saw retailers going into bankruptcy court and saying, look, we don't have revenues coming in. We can't make these rental payments, but we want to continue to exist in this chapter 11 reorganization mode. And the, and the bankruptcy courts were okay with it. We saw this in Pier 1, we saw it in Modell, we saw it as recently as last week in the Ruby Tuesday case. And it's, and it's really, um, I think a lot of landlords view this as not really authorized by the bankruptcy code. Um, and you know, certainly it puts a lot of pressure on the landlord to really float the case. And in the Ruby Tuesday case, we saw the judge actually come in and say, look, landlords, if you're upset about it, you come in and make a motion, which really turns the procedure on its head from what we'd ordinarily expect to see where the tenant understands their obligation to pay rent. And just to emphasize your point, because I think this is one of the real takeaways for the real estate audience here, um, we've all operated under the assumption that even following a bankruptcy, um, filing, um, unless a tenant actually rejects the lease right away, rent continues to accrue and needs to be paid. When you say that bankruptcy courts are now more lenient or more understanding of tenants due to the unprecedented COVID-19 environment and are deferring the time in which rent has to be paid, do you mean they're deferred or do you actually mean that courts are totally wiping out administrative rent? So the way that it has been phrased so far by the courts is a deferral. It is not post-bankruptcy rent forgiveness. However, there, it's still unclear what's going to happen when the other shoe drops. So imagine, if you will, a store that's not particularly profitable um, where the company files bankruptcy and a few months go by, the bankruptcy court says, okay, you know, we're going to defer your obligation to pay rent. Well, if ultimately the company decides to shut down that store, what is the landlord's remedy? If the lease is later rejected, they can go back to the bankruptcy court and say, look, I'm entitled as a cost of administration to be paid, but if there isn't any money there, the landlord may be left holding the bag. Great comment. Uh, the other insight I'll add to this is I've been involved representing landlords when uh, the bankruptcy attorney says, uh, let's file some motions and get that tenant uh, to pay administrative rent, which is the rent that's due post-bankruptcy filing because the tenant isn't paying it and they spend thousands of dollars preparing 
you know, points and authorities and emotion. And the, the judge just says, thanks, but I'm ruling in favor of the tenant. Uh, a real uh, analysis has to be done now, whether that type of uh, attorney effort is really worthwhile. I agree. Um, there's there's a real cost benefit analysis there, even if you know the law is on your side, the economics of it may well not be. And there's nothing wrong with business people, and I think you and I would encourage this. Find out early if your store is one of the stores that the tenant intends to continue in doing business, or it's one of the stores that's going to fall by the wayside knowing that information as early as you can is going to be part of the cost benefit analysis. I, I agree entirely, Manny. And, and for so many of these cases, particularly the large ones, there's going to be a big lender involved who's gonna have a role and who is going to be pushing the tenant to make that decision as well. So as a landlord, you are gonna have other allies in the case. Um, who are also kind of agitating for these hard decisions to be made. Let's talk uh, about security deposits. One of the uh, levers that a landlord has while the tenant was still healthy was getting a security deposit. Uh, sometimes it's cash, sometimes it's a letter of credit. Uh, do those different forms of security deposits make a difference in bankruptcy? And what can a landlord do to recover those funds once a tenant has filed for bankruptcy? Great question, Manny. Um, whether your deposit is a, a true security deposit or a letter of credit, there's no question that a landlord who holds a deposit of some kind is in a much, much stronger position in the event of a bankruptcy filing, um, because the landlord is almost always going to have first rights in those funds. So, you know, in terms of looking at your position and evaluating the risk of a tenant filing bankruptcy, absolutely ensure that you've got a deposit. Um, and, and Manny is exactly right that once a bankruptcy is filed, it is important to understand if it's a security deposit or a letter of credit. Um, I'll take a step back and just remind everyone, if you're not familiar, kind of the cardinal principle when a bankruptcy case is filed is the automatic stay goes into place, which prevents any activity to collect from the tenant, which means if they are past due on their rent, it's pencils down. You, you're not able to push to have that pre-bankruptcy rent paid until the bankruptcy case is resolved. So, so that's kind of the important overarching principle. Okay, why does that, includes, that And that includes drawing on the, the cash security deposit. Yes. No fair for a landlord to say, you owed me this money, I, owe, I have it, I'm going to offset it now. What Valerie is saying is that is barred by the automatic stay. There are legions of examples of landlords getting into trouble for doing that. Exactly right, Manny. Um, I, I can't emphasize it enough that you either need to wait until the case is done or you have to get express permission from the bankruptcy judge before you can offset a security deposit. And the reason why is that the deposit 
even though the landlord has sort of first rights to it, it's still the tenant's property. And that's kind of the important legal distinction. A letter of credit, however, is not. Uh, there's a lot of case law that says the letter of credit's actually uh, a third party obligation. Um, it is outside of the scope of the bankruptcy case. And so if you have a letter of credit, assuming that everything that needs to happen under the lease has happened and you're entitled to draw on it, then you can go ahead and draw on that letter of credit, even though the bankruptcy stay is in place. You don't know what to apply it against, but you at least have the money. Right, exactly. Um, there are other uh, nuances uh, relating to a landlord's damages uh, in a bankruptcy. Um, and while a whole class uh, can be given just on uh, defining the limits of a landlord's damages, it's just important to, to go over it in basics for the people that are listening. So even if you have a long-term lease, um, uh, you don't get all of the rent going forward that the tenant has not paid. That's right, Manny. Um, the, the bankruptcy code, um, and, and again, the, the math can get a little complicated, but basic shorthand is if your lease is rejected, you are capped at either a year's worth of rent or 15% of the time left on the lease maxed out at three years. <clears throat> and that's the formula for your claim if your lease is rejected. That is in addition to any rent that you might have been owed or other damages you might have been owed from before the bankruptcy case was filed. Great. Uh, and again, there are so many nuances on that. Uh, there are exceptions to that rule dealing with committing waste, doing, failing to restore things that you're otherwise required to restore. Uh, so we can't go over all of those things, but for monetary damages, uh, Valerie's cap as we, uh, the bankruptcy cap as Valerie has discussed is something important uh, to know about. So knowing that landlords may only get pennies on the dollar for the rent that's owed. Can we shift a little bit, knowing what you see in trends, knowing what we're all seeing happen uh, in the commercial environment, how can we plan for this in advance? What should landlords, what's your recommendation for what landlords should think about now and approach tenants, their retail tenants with now? Great question. Um, I think, the most important thing is to know your tenant, to understand who's at risk, um, and to think about sort of uh, what steps from a business perspective perhaps you ought to take, um, whether it is um, evaluating your lease portfolio, thinking about whether accommodation are appropriate or not, given the environment, given the trends we're seeing. We saw in 2020, um, restaurant liquidations where the uh, company went under, filed a chapter seven, immediately putting a trustee into place who right away rejected all the leases. So here we have landlords with a rejected lease, no operating tenant, but a store full of FF&E. 
And that puts the landlord in a little bit of a bind because uh, for everybody, uh, fixtures, furniture, uh, and equipment. So <laughs> thank you, Betty. But it's everything that we usually see the build out of uh, of all that equipment in a tenant store. But go ahead. This is a thank you, problem, and it's really something that landlords need to analyze pre bankruptcy. Um, so, so as I was saying, the, the furniture fixtures and equipment left in the space, um, the, the landlord is really in a bind because they have to store them until the bankruptcy case is, we call it administered. So until there's some determination whether the equipment's going to be sold, whether somebody else is gonna step in and, and is, you know, uh, enter into a new lease. Um, so, so that's really the business reality that you might be faced with in a liquidating bankruptcy situation. Really, the best case scenario is an assumption, which means that the company in bankruptcy or the trustee, if there is one, decides that this lease is valuable, um, he or she is going to go ahead and assume it, in which case the landlord is going to be paid the pre-petition pre-bankruptcy date filing rent that they're owed. So that's your sort of strongest scenario in bankruptcy. Um, another thing that we've been seeing a lot this year are requests for early lease terminations. And so that's another, um, in terms of your sort of bankruptcy risk analysis component that you may want to think about. Um, certainly, the landlord wants to get the strongest deal that they can get if they do decide to enter into an early lease termination. However, the risk that you have to be aware of is that any payment that you accept from your tenant, there is a 90 day period in which there is the risk of a preference complaint in bankruptcy. Now, I, I know I, I just use a bunch of jargon, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it and piece through what I mean by that. Once a bankruptcy case is filed, that date is sort of a line in the sand. And for the 90 days prior to that date, either the tenant or the trustee gets to scrutinize all payments that were made and try to, if there's legal authority to do so, get those payments back. So that usually doesn't include rent because rent is a contemporaneous exchange for value. I give you rent on the first of the month. You give me use of the premises for the month that follows and we're done. Go on to the next month. So those payments are generally protected. A lease termination payment, an early termination payment is outside of the ordinary course of business and it's often a big chunk of change. So it's something that the trustee or the company in bankruptcy is gonna look at and think, huh, can I maybe get that back? So that's something that certainly Manny and I have discussed with clients and tried to deal with as well. It's one of the naughtier problems that we as transactional lawyers, A, have a tough time getting in, getting around our head. Why can't I offer the tenant an early termination pre-bankruptcy because I fear there may be a bankruptcy and all of a sudden be exposed to the fact that if the tenant pays the landlord some money, that might be undone. Um, and secondly, there's no bulletproof way 
for the bankruptcy group uh, to really protect the landlord against this. We can build in bells and whistles, but ultimately when I have the discussion with Valerie or anyone else in the insolvency group, the answer is we can build in some of these protections, but if the lease has value and somebody really wants to take over that lease, they will scrutinize and poke holes in this early lease termination. Manny, I, I love the word naughty to describe this because there's like a nice double meaning there that I think is perfect. Um, one of the hardest things about a preference is you were rightfully owed the money. I mean, it, it was a completely legitimate commercial transaction that is nevertheless subject to potentially being undone in the event of a bankruptcy. So yeah, it is, it is a tough problem. Uh, so I think the advice that we want to give to landlords and commercial building owners is to try to get involved as early as possible with a tenant that you see to be in financial distress. Um, and you just have to go through the analysis with a bankruptcy attorney about whether this is a below market lease, an above market lease, whether it can be packaged with other leases, whether you see the tenant coming out of this in April or June of next year, um, whether just forgiving uh, the rent that's owed and keeping the security deposit is enough, or whether you really need to push further. All of these issues need to be discussed and when we, bring bank, uh, when we bring Valerie into the group to talk about this, we make sure there's a non-disclosure agreement. You might even have something called a workout agreement, but we need to put all of this on the table and the sooner the better because um, the financial distress only gets worse, the unpaid rent only gets higher, and the now uncertainty of whether you're going to get rent post-bankruptcy has just increased by the bankruptcy courts, which Valerie views themselves as a court of equity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th there's a section under the bankruptcy code, 105, which essentially gives the bankruptcy judge, um, I, you know, carte blanche is probably too aggressive of a way of putting it, but really a lot of leeway to, to do equity um, and almost always to help the company that has filed for bankruptcy um, to achieve their goals um, for that case. And so there, you know, the expectation is that the judge is going to be fairly lenient towards these companies. So in the minute or two that we have left, uh, we focused on this a little bit, but um, what do you see happening in 2021? Uh, what trends do you see both in the bankruptcy courts um, and for a ground floor commercial uh, space? Sure. So December is, is a time of year where we usually see um, the courts a little bit quieter 
particularly for retail companies, hope that the holiday shopping season will sort of either bail them out or, you know, give them some sort of guidance in terms of their numbers as to how to plan for the year to come. Um, you know, I think everybody's expectations um, are, are fairly low for this holiday shopping season. Um, you know, we had a, a, a Black Friday that was the lowest by foot traffic in recent memory. Um, all the reports are that, you know, consumer spending will be more modest this year than it has been in previous years and that the majority of the shopping is going to be online. So none of that bodes well for the first quarter of next year. Um, we've also seen a lot of different um, programs, both formal and not, to help businesses. So I'm thinking um, the PPP program, um, uh, a lot of landlords, of course, have entered into forbearance agreements. Um, banks have uh, entered into workout agreements um, with respect to their loans. So these are all things that are going to start to hit in the first and second quarters of next year, which is going to go beyond retail. I think retail was really the first wave of bankruptcies that we saw. And that next year, I think we're going to start seeing a whole different um, wave of different kinds of companies hitting chapter 11 and hitting chapter seven. So it's, it's unfortunately it's a little bit of a grim prognosis, but I, but I do think that that's where we're headed in 2021. And I think the takeaway for the real estate group is uh, really that you're going to have to spend more time on ground floor retail. We all know the attractiveness and the stickiness concept and the synergy it creates and the energy it creates in a building. Um, and we're just going to need to focus on that in our valuation of the building and in the way we treat our tenants. Uh, well, we, we really have run out of time and we've spent um, uh, over 25 minutes talking about bankruptcy, which is not something that we generally do. Uh, we're happy to do this again. And for those of us listening on the podcast, if there are additional bankruptcy related issues, we're happy to focus another program specifically on bankruptcy related issues. Thank you very much, Valerie. My pleasure. Thanks, Manny, for having me.